Oh, good. How fucking difficult is it to just, like, fucking pulp a bunch of peanuts and put it in a jar? Well, yeah. I remember when I was little, my mum would take me to the health food store and you would put the peanuts in the peanut butter machine and it would come out with, like, peanut butter. But I always hated it because it tasted like peanuts rather than, like, craft peanut butter, which was something... Like, also, looking back, is not food. What? A peanut butter machine? Yeah, yeah. Which brings me to my next point. I bought (laughs) Lady Gaga Oreos. (laughs) I bought fucking Lady Gaga Oreos. And I opened them. And and they're, they're just regular Oreos, but with a pink packet. No, they're Lady Gaga Oreos. She personally queefed on each one of those before you ate them. <laughs> but the thing is, they're supposed to be pink and like green or whatever. And apparently they have a different stamp. But all of these people on TikTok apparently are saying that the reason is that they, they, they use uh, colouring that's banned in the EU, which I could believe. No, yeah, this is completely like it's all the all the all the Harry Bow in Germany tastes completely different to England. Yeah, it's like they and they use like no end of like absolutely disgusting and evil things, uh, in all this stuff like uh, which like we just mindlessly cram into our face. Yeah, no, it's like but they're Lady Gaga. I mean, also I I I love the fact that you went and brought Lady Gaga Oreos and you somehow thought they would be different. Well, because they are. They're advertised as different in, like, uh, there's memes about them and everything. And did you respond to that advertising because you feel different? Uh, like, I would try anything. You, like, talk down to me now, but we're both depressed cunts around. (laughs) So so don't you dare look down on me because I thought a Lady Gaga-themed Oreo might make me feel a little bit better. But, and which, by the way, I ate the entire packet in one sitting and it did make me feel better. And then, much worse. (laughs) I have to say there is a certain special delight to eating a whole packet of Oreos in one go. They're just so delicious. (laughs) No, I mean, I had totally forgotten yeah, the difference is we're both your best cunts. The difference is if I got a box of Lady Gaga Oreos, I'd be happy with simply just the... I'm going to go buy a set and be happy with them. I'm going to post an story about how happy I am just so you can see it. I mean, like, Lady Gaga and Oreos together, what more do you want? Like, the actually advertised Lady Gaga Oreos. Is so you I want to be poisoned? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I get the excitement of... Like of an Oreo and then p- the potential of a swift death. Like, what's not to like? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, as opposed to you over here, like, sort of like miserly hoarding every last second of your life. What for? It's <laughs> crap. <laughs> uh, you do I'll make a compelling easier. argument. Right? Yeah. Actually, I was looking into this things recently. I really, it's actually a new spiritual movement I'm really interested in. Uh, it's a bit mm-hmm. vintage. Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Oh, that just sounds like a terrible party. Well, it, <laughs> they only met once. Huh? The Kool-Aid. Ah, okay. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's them. Yeah, let's do it. But oh, with what? a Lady Gaga Oreo. <laughs> <laughs> Inject <laughs> a uh, Lady Gaga oil cyanide. I feel actually like uh, like maybe it's not so good to make such cavalier 
jokes at such a dark time in human history, which makes me actually feel a little bit guilty, which brings us to our theme for this week. Uh, but before we get to our theme, I am Queen of the Heavens and of the Earth, Empress of Despair and Architect of Your Eternal Suffering, Olympia Bukakis. And I'm just a jab of the heart with no Princess Leia, oozing gloop. <laughs> and you're listening to our podcast, Slurry! Yay! Um, yay! How how fun! Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so fuck um, you and the horse you rode here on you. <laughs> fuck you and the horse you rode here on. That's oh yeah, that's great. a yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I, like, yeah, Australia's wrote, really got it with the curses. The, Australia's really got it with the curses, though. Oh, we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I love, he's got a face like a bucket of assholes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like, you know, this wig, this Cardi B wig with all the, um, with all the Barbie yes. heads in it. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or, um, uh, he's got a face like a dropped pie. <laughs> a face like a dropped pie. And that's pie. like an Australian meat pie. So it's a, a meat pie, which <sighs> is like, that, like, which is always covered in sauce, like uh, c- uh, ketchup. And then you drop it. <laughs> it's like a drop pie. <laughs> it's great, right? That's um, really but, good. Uh, which is, I actually feel very proud of that part. That's one of one of the only things about my uh, that about my uh, country of origin that I'm proud of. Uh, yeah. Is those two expressions. Um, but uh, the the theme uh, for this week in diametric opposition to uh, my proud pride about those two statements is guilt. 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 Yeah. We Anglo-Saxons got a lot of it. Yeah. I I have a lot of guilt today. I have hangover guilt today. And like, (laughs) it's this thing that it's like, I did not know um, that at a certain point, like I I drank wine at dinner last night. So like, uh, (laughs) it's not not like I had a big uh, night out or did anything that I regret. Um, mm. But it's like, I notice as I get older, hangover guilt is this, it's this thing that just happens like after I drink alcohol the next day I, and I can feel it as like a, as a, almost like a sentient being inside me. Cause it's like that thing you said. And then I think about the thing that I said, it's like, it's fine. And it's like, ah, oh, but what about that thing you did? It's like the other thing that I did. It's like, that's also fine. There's nothing. And then you can see it switching from thing to thing to thing. And then mm. I can feel it get like, I can feel it giving up trying to find an object and then it goes yeah just guilt and so it just sits there and it's like this is when I drink too much but like I, I remember when a hangover meant that like I felt a little bit bad in my head but now it's like I don't even get physical symptoms it's just like a strongly held conviction that I'm bad yeah <laughs> do you and think- it's like and it evaporates the next day but do you think it's maybe because like hangovers get more intense as you get older so do you feel it's that you feel like pain on like a cellular level and like your body is just processing it as like maybe part of you is trying to communicate like hurt or shame in some way i think i think well as i know that as hangovers get uh like as you get older over oh my god as you get older hangovers uh become more emotional your mind goes too sorry your mind goes too (laughs) (laughs) this is you sitting sitting high high up there in your in your sober high horse are you okay hun (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. is it bad is it is it bad (laughs) but like 
So de there's definitely like hangovers become more emotional as you get older. I know that this is like a universal uh, thing. Um, and I guess there is, you know, I also think that like, yeah. No, I think, I think it's, I think it's interesting because it's also as well, like basically it's, uh, it's super right. So basically I just feel like, uh, the lockdown, like I, you, where I was like living before I was like, basically, or I just used to experience my, let me just try that again from the top. <laughs> oh, is your mind going? My, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you gave it to me. You filthy bitch. <laughs> you took ass mole. Dumbass um, mole. Dumbass mole. Um, <laughs> that's my favourite Australian guest. No, I think that, um, uh, yeah, just this kind of like the forced, the forced spiritual quest that like self-isolation has like put upon all of us is basically an extension of where, like the forced spiritual quest that was upon me when I was like living in Norwich with no funding or no like resources or no access or no career. And I was just like, what am I doing? Or why am I doing this? And I was like, finally, I'm an autonomous person who can just act in the world. And it was like lockdown and it's just been this sort of continuation. And then in this, you know, looking and kind of just having investigated a bunch of different sort of like coop, hocus pocus, kooky wooky spirituality things of which AA is just the most recent incarnation yeah the last one was Kabbalah right <laughs> yeah the last one was Kabbalah Center yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it and you are, you apply yourself so you're so rigorous about like processing this it's I really I think it's admirable I, it's so annoying right I will tell you having searched really hard there is no answer out there <laughs> Like, yeah, I was a bit yeah. like. There are. Some... I found I found that out in a tarot reading in New York. Oh wow! Fab. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, tarot reading in New York. Yeah, because I was I was just after just after my breakup, and mm. then <laughs> these two. I think we, I've talked about that on this podcast before. And these two lovely women were giving me. Um, and they just, they were just like I was hanging out at their house, and they're like, "You want a pot? Uh, do you want a podcast? Do you want a, uh, a tarot reading?" And then they were like, you have to ask a question. And I said, what's the point? Yeah. And they were like, in. And I was like, no, that was the full question. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, what, like, because I felt so defeated and so sad. But I was just like, why? Like, as a question, as a question for everything. Yeah. And then they just like went through this whole thing. And I like, basically, they gave me this reading that, that like affirmed the total pointlessness of life. Um, but somehow it came through this idea that it's like, yeah, but if you distract yourself, like you can have a lot of interesting and fun things that happen while you go through this entirely pointless process. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, so that's the point. Like there is no point. And what are you going to do about it? You might as well just have a nice time. Distractions. Um, <laughs> and it was really helpful. I, I believe, yeah, I think there's a lot of it with this. It's also, what's very interesting, right, as well, is that I just feel, I have in myself and in my body, like, as someone, as within my experience, as someone who was basically uh, through various processes of, like, diagnosis and effective support and coming out and finding different things and moving around, like... Um, change uh, for the better is completely possible and this can happen and we can do things that affect change uh in that sense um and so 
So I do feel, it's also, I feel like a, there's a, a responsibility to sort of do this. But also recently in AA as well, that we were talking about something like, you've got to sort of resolve this, like your ego will make you feel like that everything's a burning barn situation. And so this is kind of this, this guilt that we we're talking about earlier on, where it's like, you know, it's trying to attach to this thing or that thing or the other thing. And it can't go anywhere because you're not actually guilty about anything. So it's like, you're just going to feel guilt. Like yeah. this basically in Kabbalah, this is called the opponent in uh, AA. It's called alcoholism, like in various other things, you know, it's just this sort of like um, within Buddhism, like the trick is not to get caught up in these sorts of thoughts and sort of like to, to uh, have like an open, uh, a blank open mind, like the sky. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just sort of the same. It's kind of the same, same shit, different, different scripture <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah totally but yeah. you you were getting uh towards uh lockdown guilt and i i derailed you oh no totally no it was also yeah like it was the have absolute uh of course have absolute lockdown guilt in the city just like yeah jab of the heart with uh no princess leia what what what, what is the lockdown guilt for you just be like so i feel like uh <laughs> Sorry, I know I said this earlier on. I think that remember. was quite evocative. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like ah, uh... uh, yeah. This kind oh, of we be... harmonised a bit. Yeah, ooh, how nice, resonating. Well, I think that's it basically as well. Is I think that this there is that we are. I think that it's really important to note that we're in one of the most unique periods of history, ever, in which there has never been a time before now in which we've had so much capacity to communicate. And we've never had so many distractions and that we also i think that the guilt and a lot of guilt that we experience in is because we know that change or activity is possible but actually it's never been more complicated to work out what kind of activity should be engaged with you can in essence get now any spiritual scripture you would want online in a pdf no problem like these things used to be even up until like uh uh, 10 or 20 like it's uh 20 or 30 years ago these things would be impossible to access you'd have to go to all sorts of lower dealers things or any particular skill you would like to learn you know you can learn it online kind of thing like you don't have to go and like become an apprentice or something like that like any any skill you would want to learn there is a, a more or less going to be a tutorial of some kind on youtube and you can see this with drag you know you used to have to go and find a drag queen and then like like fucking like file down her barnacles on her feet or something like that before she'd even teach you the tips of a winged eyeliner and now you can just like check it out online really easy like and um get everything so then but then also as well at the same time now so that's a very interesting moment of history anyway and then now we have a pandemic which is um uh this complete universalizing experience of complete paralysis where every single avenue in which we would normally do everything does not exist as well so every single sort of like social infrastructure that you would use to generate some kind of reward or something um is completely gone in a typical sense and so we're caught in this way in which there is there is so much opportunity and so much ability in this and it's actually there's this appreciation of the fact that it's unique and then also at the same time there's absolutely no there's no format or way of going through this and so as a result it just leaves you with basically your mind completely blown, feeling kind of bad, but also then not having anyone judging you for that because it's there. And then you're just like lying on the sofa, like a starfish, 
trying to work your way around all of this before you just like slide slowly with your corpse-like crypt keeper hand onto the, the touchpad of your laptop and click play next episode on Netflix. Like, <laughs> this is the lockdown, Gil. This is the lockdown, Gil. It's like... But you know, you know, my take also on lockdown guilt is that actually it's not just attached to the Netflix thing because I, like, uh, <laughs> I... Every, every day I meditate, I play cello, I, I read for at least an hour. Um, and like, I've been, well, I've been doing a residency over the last two months. So like this, I've actually had stuff to do, but no matter how much I do, there's still this guilt. Like, mm. um, and I think it, yeah, it wasn't there last time. I think this is just like, you know, all this it's like this sticky thing in the air at the moment, but it, for some reason it's really come up in the last, uh, in the last two months, which I find interesting. That's, that's so funny because in the last two months I've just started randomly having, um, because like, obviously like, I think it's so interesting as queer people, we have such an interesting relationship to guilt because we feel so guilty about ourselves for so long. Yeah. For literally just yeah. existing. And, yeah. and people who persecute us and make lives unlivable and like drive queer people to suicide literally feel no guilt. They feel they yeah. feel in fact the most com- like they have may and that uh, you know I don't want to go down that rabbit hole of like misery like this that these people there's so many people who've like uh, caused uh, cause so much like dispossession who feel no guilt and complete entitlement over this so obviously as good people we have like I mean we're actually better equipped to bat away guilt and not to experience it with things or also to uh, I think but then um. I definitely have just been noticing... So I've, I've not been able to recognise it. And at certain times I've just been like, you know what? It's the pandemic and I have to just step away from the responsibility for these emotions right now. But I have also been working towards... I've been strategically sort of like uh, working to making more achievable goals, you know, to sort of like deal with this, to like process this. Because actually as well, like having these, uh, it's just understanding that maybe lots of goals that I had for myself were just completely unrealistic or weren't attainable kind of thing. I always felt like something was happening somewhere that I should be sort of achieving and that this was stopping me from actually doing anything in the immediate. So by breaking things down in and making successive progress in the lockdown, then this is actually starting to alleviate this and I'm starting to get somewhere. You know, like I just clear, I just uh, cleared out three bags of trash from my room. Yeah. Like old yeah, clothes started, and stuff like I started writing a to-do list every day and that has really helped because I put only put on the list the things that I actually think that I need to do that day. And mm. then once they're done, then it's like it's like that thing I do with the, with the hangover guilt where it's like, is there anything that I've said or done that you can actually attach yourself to inside me? And then when it go and then it's like, no. <laughs> and it's like well, I'm not going to give you more time than, than than you like than I have to. And I found that since I started doing the daily to-do list that does help. But like I'm sure, you know. Yeah. But this is I've noticed also like uh like queer guilt or queer shame has mm. come back recently. I, like this has come back. I think this it just comes back whenever your like your defenses are a bit down. Mm-hmm. Um but it's really struck me by like how how pre- how much that stays with you. And it actually this reminds me uh, I of there's this text that I read. It's the introduction to the book "Feeling Backward: Love and the Politics of Queer History" by Heather Love. Um, <laughs> and I read, it's really beautiful. The base, like the 
the central argument is that like a lot of queer politics is about thinking about the future as a place that will resolve the problems of the present. Mm -hmm. um, it gets better. Yeah. Um, and uh, then she she's talking about like, well, we can't like, and while that's true, we can't ignore the baggage of the past. Um, and there's this quote from uh, uh, Susie Bright, who is a writer and sex activist that I wanted to share, where she's talking about um, uh, like watching a film that makes her upset. And she said, I think um, uh, it's talking about like something homophobic happens in, um, uh, it's a homophobic representation of a lesbian in a film. And she says, um, the loathing she feels, how sick she is with herself, it still makes me cry when I see that. And I think, you know, why am I crying? Why does this still get to me? This is just an old, silly movie, you know, and people don't feel this way anymore. But I don't think that's true. I think people do feel that way today still, uh, like towards uh, gay men and lesbians. And there's part of me, despite all of my little signs, you know, like happy, proud, well-adjusted, bisexual, queer, kinky, you know, no matter how many posters I hold up saying I'm a big pervert and I'm so happy about it, there's this part of me that's like, how could I be this way? Mm. And, and when I read that, it just like... I think I, I um, there's a there's the word wow written next to it that I wrote uh, like three years ago. But when I read that, it was just like, it was obviously very emotional, but it was such a relief to actually admit that it was like that's like where my life started was in a place where it was very very shameful to be who I was, and it was like really scary and frightening. And then mm. it's like. It's, it can be really helpful to give yourself a break and then realise that it's like, it's okay if you still feel that way sometimes. Yeah, well, actually, I had this just earlier on today because I just watched Hannah Gatsby Nanette. Yeah. Which I sent you a uh, stupid video of just so that yeah. you could, whilst I was lying in my lockdown guilt. Because also, I found that, um, I've, okay, so I have to say, actually, something that really helps right now is uh, engaging in... Uh, not just binging cartoons that I love doing, but engaging the works of artists, actually. So, for example, there's a full hour-long documentary on YouTube about Meredith Monk, who that's completely amazing. There's also another amazing website called UbuWeb that's all, like, underground uh, movie makers from the 70s and 80s, uh, like, of counterculture in the late 20th century. Uh, UbuWeb.tv, I think, where there's just all these free videos you can watch. So you can, like, watch, like, Nick Zed's, like, War is Menstrual Envy and, like, all this stuff. And it just helps you... It, you get to sit there and be passive, but you get to consume this artistry. Also as well, Art21 from PBS is an amazing hour-long TV show uh, that you can get on their website with a bit of digging. Um, that also feels really good to ingest in these things. So, and I've been trying to watch, uh, I find that comedy specials are a great thing to watch right now. Because it's like an hour-long thing and you get to just sit with someone who is going through all these things. And, I, and um, today in the net, Hannah Gadsby talks about how they came from somewhere in Tasmania where 70% of people believed that being gay should be a crime in 1997 when it was legalised yeah. and in her particular area and that 10 year struggle where she knew she was queer but couldn't come out that was it was too late she was homophobic and I think this was and it's so amazing this is one of the first times that I've ever seen a queer person admit to being homophobic and they said that hmm. but and of course we all are to a certain extent actually because you internalise it you yeah. actually you can't find a register outside of that and then they talk about how if you don't let a child have 
a sense of self-worth like guilt comes from is a seed that is planted but then it stops mm-hmm. you from carrying messages of self-worth and so you can't within your brain form like the ability to carry these thoughts uh, is deformed basically and it's also that your your brain in your teenage years and in your early life is uh it's a concept called neuroplasticity so it's about how adaptable your brain is and so basically you get stuck like that so it's shame for life but i think what's interesting right is that in the articulation of pride there is of course the cd underside of that is shame whereas in the articulation of shame i mean gay shame is a much more, a more interesting movement but in the articulation of shame then there was a very clear message actually there of pride that i find very interesting it's almost like the, the pride shines through the sense of shame the fact that you could declare yourself being a shame means that you are automatically proud i don't know like i've never been so <clears throat> i like i think aesthetically it's nice but gay shame wasn't like the, like for our listeners. That's like this was a particular like uh, movement or aesthetics that people mm. adopted in the nineties, right? It was like yeah. a queer thing. But like, <clears throat> I guess it's interesting because there were these uh, like this uh, some people do uh, events called gay shame here mm-hmm. uh, in Berlin every now and then, and it's uh, it's interesting because a lot of gay people who haven't heard of this get quite upset because they think that it's homophobic, um, uh, like, uh, that it's like, uh, like a homophobic trolling sort of thing. So like, you know, there's an interesting question about context and blah, blah, blah. But like, I think because gay shame only makes sense in the broader context of gay pride, then it's kind of limited. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But also for example, at gay, uh, uh, gay pride in Glasgow, like even, um, even in the last couple of years, like uh, queer people got arrested for carrying signs that said faggots. Yeah. Which yeah. is also, it's basically as well, it's within this idea that uh, I was watching a great um, lecture. I can't remember who it's by, but it's it's a TED talk by a doctor on sexuality, sort of uh, critiquing the born this way um, articulation Ugh. and how, yeah, how... First the Oreo is now this. Yeah, first the Oreo is now this, yeah. It, it... Or first that, now the Oreo is actually. First, yeah. yeah, yeah, completely. It's like, it's basically as well as the, just saying that if there's this, if you're born this way, you know, it's a, the point is, is that actually courts in terms of uh, protecting against discrimination and all of these things, don't look to see whether or not someone's born that way. It's about the idea of, uh, is it okay to discriminate against someone or not, regardless of how they're born? And it's really yeah. funny that courts are ahead of the sort of like sense of social activism, considering they're a fundamentally very conservative institution with certain well, things. I think it's because the idea of being born this way what it is an idea that was championed by the conservative wing of mm. um, of like the the LGBT rights movement. Yeah. Um, so like this uh, idea of it's like a it's offering an apology with the hopes of receiving assimilation. Yeah. Um, so mm. it's like I didn't choose this, and this is also because this is what you say just after you come out when you're making excuses. When people say, yeah. you know, people also told me I was lying. Straight <laughs> people do the weirdest things. <laughs> Like, they're like, you just want attention. And it's like, don't you think there would be a better way to get attention? Like, anyway, um, when people like, I remember saying, no, it's not a choice. Or because people said you would choose to be gay. And I said, no, it's not a choice because why would I choose this? Um, Mm. And I said this as like a 14, 15 year old in a very conservative, uh, like 
backward uh, shithole. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's apparently it's changed now, but I like who cares? That the scars are there. A meat know? pie of a so, town. Yeah, <laughs> town like a drop pie. Town like a drop um, pie. Pie dropped in the outback, nibbled um, by porcupine. But uh, but like so, like, and so that's something that I said in that like regressive crap environment. Yeah. So, but then then this is something that like uh, people in like the like the mainstream visible um, like uh, like LGBT rights movement in the two thousands were really championing. Like we, we were born this way, and it's like. What? No, yeah. you weren't. I wasn't born having anal. <laughs> like, I wish. <laughs> We're all born vaginally, baby. <laughs> like, unless you're a cesarean. Um, yeah. Well, what's interesting about this as well, what this doctor was talking about, is that basically people over periods of time, generally their sexuality changes. And what the born this way argument does is it basically says once you come out, you need to then also, as well, like, it actually stops gay people from being sympathetic with other with people when their sexuality changes as well. And that actually, yep. you know, it's also this idea, uh, and and it stops us from engaging in a fluidity or more, or more representative ideal where we can actually be, uh, correspond to uh, to who we are. So it's a, then actually is that the, the born this way process re- reinstitutes gay shame later. Yeah, absolutely. And it leads to a kind of essentialism, which, uh, like, leads to this essentialism, uh, like, leads to a very conservative idea of, like, how sexuality works. And then when people, uh, like, from that, then start being, like, weird about bi people, that then leads them to complain really loudly about bi erasure, which I find a really annoying argument. And so I'd just rather (laughs) that people weren't dicks to bi people so that I didn't have to this argument about bi erasure as though being invisible was the worst thing that could happen to someone in the LGBT spectrum. Oh my God. Don't get me started. (laughs) It's like, as though someone like doubting your queerness is on the same level. Uh, Anyway, um, I just like, like, yeah, that's a public call. Like, please, everyone stop being dicks to buy people because I find some of the responses really infuriating. (laughs) So how many places was your jaw broken earlier last year? (laughs) Yeah. One or three? Yeah, one, but he really did it. Um, I I could have used a bit of bioracial last year. (laughs) 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 I could... If I could have just, like, not been visibly a part of the LGBT community, that would have been cool. Just for, like, that, you know, that... Like, that window of opportunity just... right there. Just, like... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, but it's, like, that's the thing. It's, like, I, I also... I get really bored and irritated with, like, when queer politics gets into this, like, the minutiae of, like... Uh, is that how that word is pronounced? Uh, um, minutiae. Minutia. But I, um, I, I, I think um, I prefer minutia. Yeah, minutia. Plural. Yeah, the minutia. Drag um, name. Oh, oh my god, it's been, a, it's been a while since. That's the first drag name of 2021. Hi, my name is Minutia. 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 <laughs> yeah, it's just French. Yeah, minutia. Um, <laughs> like, getting into like the really like, um, like obscure, like nitpicky. It's like. The whole point, the whole th- thing that's good about like queer politics is that we can focus more on having broad coalitions of like people against heteronormativity rather than coming up with these incredibly detailed 
like uh, like genealogies of our perversions. I just think that's not so interesting, right? Funny you should do that because I was reading The History of Sexuality by Michel Foucault earlier today. And speaking of which, like a genealogy of perversions, this is exactly, he talks about the idea that the sexual revolution itself is actually just the next technical manoeuvre of the process of sexuality as it had been constructed in the family over the over the 19th century, basically. Actually, everything we see in the 19th century, and he says that, <clears throat> he says the history of sexuality is also an archaeology of psychoanalysis, where you can see that these institutions form together, and that also that the family, when, that basically he says as well that the fact that sexuality could be studied as it began to be in the 19th century, when the homosexuality laws were made with Queen Victoria in England and stuff like that, like that then when the family became aware that there was this sexuality, it opened itself up for all forms of examination. And that's when we got this sort of like doctoral process. And that he says that within this, linked in with this medical model is also the confessional model as well of this idea of finding this thing out. And he says, it was really interesting that, um, that period oh, confessions uh, were enforced basically this notion of confessions were enforced and they were periodic exhaustive and uh, obligatory and they were forms of uh, spiritual mystic uh, spiritual exercise and asceticism and mysticism which is this sort of like and basically that we have this big confessional moment of like the coming out and then we have these various confessional moments and say well as of this or as of that or as the other and we create these um this series of identities that uh, that always the Judith Butler critiques at the end of Gender Trouble by saying that when we do this, there's always this embarrassed etc. that emerges as a so and so, so and so, such and such, etc. 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 It's embarrassed like I can't keep track of all of the the matrix of identities that we're deploying right now. So I'm just going to say this all etc. because I have to make my point, but I want to be inclusive. But there's too many words for me to literally include these things. Um, and I think it's really, uh, but yeah, he said, it was said, the sexual revolution was a tactical shift in the deployment of sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, um, uh, and I think basically this comes down to, I think just the really good way to just, to give like a normative evaluation on this is just like, what about this is helping us lead better lives as happy, uh, happy, free, queer people able to express ourselves kind of thing. And I think that the born this way argument is not doing that, although I do understand the strategic essentialism of using it at certain historical moments or using it in certain arguments. But this is where Lady Gaga was so far behind. Cause it's like, this was like, uh, this was no longer like the dominant idea by the time she, like the youth, like Jen said, those people, like, thank God. That are saving uh, it a like, lot. Are saving it. <laughs> yeah, like, they, they intuitively, like, understood that this is not the case. That, like, actually fluidity is much more, uh, like, the vibe man. Yeah. Like, like, essentially, it was already so... So De Lady Gaga is about our age, but, like, also with us. It was like, but, like... You know, that bitch I, will I, rule the day that she fucked up your Oreo cookies. I don't, I, you know what, to be honest, I don't think it's Lady Gaga's fault. I think it's Oreo's fault. Right, so wait, did you see the tweet from Oreo saying trans people exist? Did they? Yes! Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, how did you miss this? So recently, like, after the Lady Gaga Oreo cookies came out, Oreo didn't even change their profile picture on Twitter to a Lady Gaga Oreo. They still had the normative blue Oreo cookie tweet out 
Oreos. Trans people exist. Just that. But people know that. I know. My, well, basically, like, my Instagram's been going off with trans people, like, posting pictures of the invisible, like, the, the invisible person being, like, trans people before 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, also, this is, this is, uh, like, I think there's this trans day of visibility where, like, uh, it connects to this bi-erasure thing uh, or the bi-invisibility thing. Like, I just, I'm quite sceptical of this idea that trans people need to be more visible. Like, as a trans femme... Like, um, like visibility isn't something that I associate with safety. Um, and like, I, I, I also think like trans lives, this, you could make a different case about trans men, but like for trans women and trans femmes, like it's usually a state of hyper visibility unless one passes and looks like a cis woman. It requires um, hypervigilance as well. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's um, and it's all about maintaining like uh, like the bodily integrity, like and safety that goes along with being like a body that's marked uh, like you know deviant. Um, so like when when Oreos goes trans people exist, it's like yeah they know they use different words for us, but they know. <laughs> well, you know. Um, oh, I was going to say something so clever, but I just completely forgot it. Wait. Uh, but there's, there was an argument that um, that Sean Fay made on Instagram, um, which oh no, it we stand Sean Fay. Let's just put it out there right now. We stand yeah. her. Yeah, I, I, she's absolutely incredible. But I was thinking actually of a different video, which is by Contrapoints. <laughs> so we stand Contrapoints. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, these, these are like two, two of we them. We stand are, like, that very intelligent, very wordy white trans woman. <laughs> yeah i have a certain um, theory that if you can say five consecutive signifiers that are the identity and then after that describing someone but mm -hmm. after that this is this is where my shady nature comes out but after that you could you are you still can't tell which of the two people uh, you're describing mm -hmm. um then that's it you count as the same person i have two friends i do this with because but you can just say the same five things about each of us and it doesn't tell you which one's which <laughs> this is a very clever mind game to erase someone's entire existence oh yeah yeah, yeah. wait no so like when i was like so my, good, my good old friend joanna just being like okay yeah the punk one with the mullet that's like got the D the questionable diy home bleach job wearing the fur coat with um some like uh with the big black combat boots all the time oh and that could be you or joanna yeah completely oh and with a dangly earring Okay. Yeah. yeah. Done. It'd be like, you can't. So did you just erase yourself or Joanna out of existence? Which one we merged. Oh, you merged. That's actually nice. Yeah. I've always thought it would be nice to be part of a hive. So but, um, what, what I was saying about um, ContraPoints is that she said she doesn't like the slogan, like, uh, trans women are women, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. trans men are men, uh, non-binary people are valid. Because also, there's no non-binary people out there who are like, oh. God, I hope I wake up and I'm valid today. It's like it's not like a feeling that you don't that you don't like. Who who is afraid of not being valid? Oh, like I a think ticket. Yes, like no. non-binary people public public transport tickets or what? Yeah, no. I think so. This is I think this is very interesting. We get into a very interesting area. Yeah, because ContraPoint. I've seen the same video. ContraPoint says trans liberation now. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is much better. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. Tra like so. Oreo is going. Trans people exist. It's like that feels like the least 
progressive <laughs> version of that statement that you came up with. But it, it is. We've got to, we basically have to look that these are the mottos right now of a homophobic, transphobic capital accumulation that basically has deployed a certain uh, matrix of identity and it is doing everything it can to stabilise that identity. It does not want any disruption to it, basically. So it's like mm. trans women are women, but we stay firm, firmly within the category of like womanhood. And then also within, you know, it creates an argument within femininity that we've expected. Uh, is well documented and then it's also as well that um the validity the, the idea that one like you don't need to be valid to throw a brick at a cop let's just put it that way in fact actually what you do is you reset the structures of validity in this moment and that's basically what gave us stonewall it's but it's like by focusing on your validity we then argue also as well with each other hugely like the repeated times that people have tried to like cancel contrapoints because they don't think that she's great on like her various things uh, to do explicit with themes of validity and also that people then get used to this idea where we get to exist online as valid people in a way that will never match up to our physical lived experiences and as a result then it intrinsically makes the world this very terrifying and upsetting place to us and uh just makes us exp you know it's just really upsetting because it's actually there is no way in which your your physical lived experience will be like using twitter kind yeah. of thing and so stay off that and then they all have anime avatars on twitter right yeah i mean i can't wait till i can be an anime avatar walking down the street because it's over okay like if you've seen the end of evangelion it's gonna look like that oh but then this is it and then the idea of like being born this way as well so it's like baby you were born this way you are valid trans people exist it's like are we just seeing like uh you know like this is why i want to bring back the gay slogan smash the family smash the state like, because this is what queer people used to be advocating for. And we've gone completely from a radical restructuring of society to trying to fit in or appease the most tiny, the tiny little boxes, which is exactly what um, Foucault is describing in the history of sexuality. I have a question mm. um, about Foucault. So I just read, uh, it was uh, a short essay by Jacques Rancière. Um, who, who you really like. Yes. And I, I was my first time reading him and I've meant to read him for ages and I really liked it. And it was called On the Problematic Legacy of Michel Foucault. And, <sighs> yeah. um, and he basically says, says uh, like he starts by saying, with the, like the 20th death anniversary of Sartre, they had to like scrub his radicalism away um, to, like, to, to in induct him into this, like this, that stupid canon of like French intellectuals that they love to wank off over. Yeah. Um, and, um, <laughs> I'm sure Ranty has said those exact words because he doesn't mince them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, and he said, like, he said, um, like, with Foucault, there's a bigger problem, which is there's no legacy of radicalism to scrub away because yeah. it's very difficult to work out what he actually thought of, uh, like, what he actually stood for. Um, and it's very interesting because apparently after he wrote The History of Sexuality, Volume 1, mm -hmm. he wrote almost nothing uh, uh, like, uh, and stopped publishing until uh, he found out that he was dying and then quickly published the last two books. Um, mm. And so that because like, it, like, if you read The History of Sexuality, Volume 1, um, it's like it's, his work can be very paralyzing because it's like, okay, this is an elegant, um, uh, like an elegant model um, and so I understand now that coming out as a political strategy has its place in this genealogy of the confession and therefore I shouldn't necessarily give into that. And then 
Well, and so and then so what's like valuable in Foucault is often like what other people have done with it, like like Judith Butler and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, and people and Rancière makes the um, point that like, but like people have taken he he can also be used to. Um, uh, support the neoliberal dismantling of the state. So, like, he's a he's a bit of an open book. But my question is, because I think like clever people um, often use a very um, very intimidating intellect to deal with an embarrassingly simple problem. Mm. And Foucault never came out. Yes. Yeah. 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 This is. I think it's also just rereading the stuff from the confession that I was looking. He's talking about these things. He never came out because he's just like, yeah, it's basically. Like, so it's like you would say out. that you closet queen. <laughs> yeah, you would. You fucking yeah. Like it's interesting because he talks about a sort of like uh, historization, like the his, historically, like the process of the Azarotica. It's also very interesting because basically as well is I think that I think just from skim reading about again by going into the PDF document, doing Control F and looking for confession, and yeah. just looking at the just looking at all the moments he mentions the idea of confession is that he also talks about the idea of the Ars Erotica is historically this sort of like process where by which uh, one would be inducted into the ways of sexuality by someone else. And then you, this gets us into the art. Uh, but what we have now is we have an Ars Scientifica in which the scientific understanding of sexuality is itself its own perverse sexual pleasure. There is a mm. sexual pleasure in being in the, the minutiae of the articulation of one's sexual identity. Uh, you're basically it's like an extended version of like an, uh, a symbolic signifying way of playing with your nipples like uh, and then um, it's foreplay it's actually foreplay like the articulation one sexual identity has reached the point of foreplay there's such a level of fetish oh, to but it it's so unsexy yeah well this is just it it's like there's I mean <laughs> there's a lot of very unsexy fetishes out there like but it doesn't change the fact that people get off on them and it's like uh, no I, I think the idea of having like knowing what you want is quite sexy uh, so it's not so much about the idea of a, a fetish being unsexy because even if, it's, I've, if someone has a fetish that I'm not into I kind of find it hot that they like have that they know this thing that they want yeah but that's you're a boomer <laughs> 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 I just like to know what the word. No, I think yeah, there is no definitely there is. There's something about that that is very sexy. Yes, but no, I mean people who are like really, really like, um, like for whom it is clearly already a sexual act to catalogue uh, like their 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 identity. Yeah, but this is this is just it. Is this is a this is a this is a guilty fetish people aren't willing to take responsibility for. But it is a fetish. We should see it as a fetish. And actually, if it yeah. was properly articulated as a fetish. Perhaps then people would have the decency to keep it to themselves or do it in a particular articulated place. <laughs> oh my like, god! Have you just you become like a mid twentieth century conservative? <laughs> I'm just saying that it's like the what it is as well is that people want to fill queer spaces with this incredibly conservative with a very paralyzing matrix of identity that forces us to uh, that ends up that forces us to go into more and more perverse little tunnels and then to get triggered and upset with each other for not respecting each other's validity. Yeah. Despite the fact there's no actual shared consensus for this. Um, uh, in some, you know, like, and that's all to, it's to do that we then argue within ourselves rather than uh, dealing with the fact that there's actually a certain power, uh, a certain labor uh, process put in place to render us as perverts. And thus we take that on and we internalize that to then then argue with each other over who's who's the who's uh, a valid pervert and who isn't a valid pervert yeah. in that sense. Like 
I think that's it. And that basically, but I think with Foucault, is he just didn't want to like, he just didn't want to play with this. He wanted to just get, go out, get fisted and like, that be that basically, I think. Like, um, yeah, but I, I find that, that's what I find difficult because he was living at a time when gay liberation was really a thing. And there was like interesting and exciting like things going on in gay liberation. Yeah, but it's also as well, there were a bunch of like gay people who were the Nazis, right? What? There were a bunch of gay people in the uh, early Nazi party until they got purged. Yeah, as a, in the essay with Ernst Röhm. Yeah. Yeah. But like they didn't concept... Sorry? Could have been Foucault. Like he wasn't, you know, I don't think he was, a, he wasn't intrinsically radical. He was absolutely not an intrinsically radical person. I think that, and his, his technology, he just literally mm-hmm. provided technology. And, yeah. you know, I did, he didn't have uh, a thing. And what's, sorry, I've completely interrupted you. You say like... No, go on. I'm okay, gonna, no, sorry. What's very interesting is that uh, people, as Rancière, really reject the term biopolitics, which is yeah. an abstraction from Foucault's work, and he says that the notion of biopower is a valid one, but biopolitics is actually itself an extension of biopower, and there is no real politics in what is referred to as biopolitics, basically. Mm-hmm. And for Rancière, what's really funny is that the, mo- the, the political moment is something very complex, but also very simple. Everything we like to call politics is very rarely ever politics. What is political, however, is the clash of one subjectivity with another, which means that for Foucault, <laughs> coming out is not a political act, but with Rancière, it very much is. Yeah, I think well, for, for Foucault, coming out is not a political act. And then for literally everyone else who ever paid attention to anything that made a difference, it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, Foucault is just wrong. <laughs> like, like we, we, we all exist in the results of people who risked ruining their lives and losing, losing everything. Like, mm. that's something that they, they did out of a sense of altruism and out of a sense of... Uh, what's the word, uh, responsibility for those who are younger than them. Like, mm. people died for gay liberation. Like, and then, and then, like, I just, I feel... I like... also, I do, I do believe that Foucault does mark a very distinctive and very interesting break with the history of thought that, again, has been applied in loads of very interesting ways. Like, and I think... That's true, that's true. I think that, to a certain extent, that his, his complete rejection his rejection in many ways of these things. I think Foucault could have actually led, you know, perhaps he would have maybe led a, a more happy and fulfilled life if he could have accepted, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, he could have like, accepted these things, been like, I'm a fag, you know, on this history of sexuality and been like, yeah, you know what? I'm a fucking faggot. Like written the other two, gone, been like, and could have become someone who kind of that. But I think part of his, the conditions by which he produced this, as well as the fact that he stepped outside of so many things and thought, and managed to think in a way people hadn't thought before, which arguably, but you know, yeah. I also, I also, I would also dispute this because he's also infamous for not referring to other philosophers and then like, uh, like appropriating their ideas. Yeah, this is um, true. Yeah. Uh, so like, I don't think like, I think it seems like a much more radical like rupture than uh, it would be if he'd actually credited like Althusser or yeah. Marx or Freud uh, or like all of these people who's like he couldn't have written his work if they hadn't written yeah so in that no i know completely i think uh i agree with that i think he just yeah so i yeah definitely and that, that's uh you know what that is that's a gay shame not not the good thing that's a gay shame, gay shame. <laughs> you know i was also thinking about this because i do a, a performance um which is a confessional you perform 
I am a performance uh, <laughs> person. I was going to say performance artist, but I actually don't. Uh, I don't feel. I don't call myself a performance artist at all. I don't. Um, sorry. I don't art. I just perform. Yeah, yeah. I, per- I like. I perform. It's a. It's a. It's a job, man. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say, but um, uh, I do this performance. And it's really, really interesting because the idea is basically that the, like, it's one-on-one and people can come in and they can uh, like tell me something that they want to tell me. And it doesn't have to be, it, like it can be big or small or like, um, and the only rule is that it can't be about me. And uh, uh, yeah, I think that's the only rule. Oh God, yeah. that would be so fucked. <clears throat> Yeah, just I'm doing a performance and then someone comes in and be like, so this one thing, oh God, is about you? Ooh, well done, <laughs> yeah. good foresight. Yeah, well, it came, there was a, uh, like, a guy who started like this weird long um, like rant where he was talk- basically trying to come out because he was straight and he was trying to come out as being attracted to me and like drag queens and like trans women or something like that. I was like, dude, this is not what this is for. I didn't say anything, but I was just like, from now on, I will not let people do that. Um, so um, then uh, he, uh, so the, what is really interesting and what I find interesting about performance is that like the confession has been used. Like we clearly have it like this desire to confess, to say something about ourselves. Um, and like Foucault like traces a history of this and like talks about how, yeah, like uh, when it comes to sexuality and then like the, like, psychology and psychiatry and um psychoanalysis like draw from this tradition of the like the catholic confessional um and i think it's kind of interesting because we do have this like i think the way i phrase it is that always in a conversation there isn't like a need to tell and a need to listen uh that Mm. we have um and norm in normal conversations we have to mediate each uh, like both of those needs um, with the with the needs of the other person and what a ritual does is it sets these solid rules so I was like I have no need to tell right now so you I but I do have a need to listen so you can just tell and you don't have to worry about what's going on with me and people like immediately go to like the most heavy shit and it's like it's, and it's always really beautiful like I really love doing it um but it's, I think it's really interesting about something about the confessional because people talk about stuff that they feel guilty about and then like there's um, often because afterwards they say, do you want me to respond? And no one has ever said no. Uh, everyone has always wanted me to respond. Wow. And I've done this, I've done this with like over wow. 150 people. Yeah. Wow. And wow, 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 wow. Do you have like, what do you have like a notches in your confessional booth? Like, <laughs> uh, but like it's uh, and often it's just like um, like do you really feel guilty about this I think this is just sounds fine and people say really <laughs> you know like because it's always like this really small stuff um, even if it's really big to them um, but like there is definitely this need that we have to like unload this and people talk about this as like Catholic guilt but I don't think that like I don't I don't I think I think Catholic guilt comes from the specific experience of being raised Catholic, and that that the Catholic Church does a does a real uh, mental number on children basically to indoctrinate them, which like uh, for life, and that Catholic guilt is just, is the specific process whereby Catholics have a different cultural experience being raised than to Protestant people, and that that's what Catholic guilt is. Um, 
But, however, uh, Foucault, in, uh, when I was researching earlier on today, says that, you know, this logic of the confession informed Catholic and Protestant uh, conscience and uh, outlook and stuff like that. I would, I would, pose, I would pose a question to you, uh, which is, do you believe in the true self? I prefer not to think about myself. <laughs> do you believe that's yeah well not not yeah. so yourself but you know like just the truth you know when there's this we just need to unburden you know who do you think where do you think it comes from does he think it comes from like some like a, a deeper sense of who we are or like so can you, do, do you pose the question from, again okay i'm i'm kind of asking you do you believe in the soul no in this definitely sense? not or like um, the true self, like a true self that's within somehow, you know, and then like, yeah. No, no, I, I still, res I like, I'm a complex set of systems, some yeah. of whom like form uh, a consciousness. And so that's what I'm aware of. Um, but uh, all of the other systems have like uh, a very strong effect. So it's kind of nice that I'll never really work it out. Yeah, no, this is just it because basically it's, I think that we the idea of the true self is very necessary for our society you know something i love is that uh negative one times by negative one creates the square uh, the square root or there's a something called like the square root of negative one or something like that and it's an imaginary number and it does not exist uh but it is necessary for it to exist for the functionality of the system as a whole and yeah. so and so they refer to this number as i Oh, so and I think there's this idea of the self, this idea, like we have this notion of the true self that has to exist for the functionality of our system, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that it's really is a strategy to hand down property from from parent to child kind mm -hmm. of thing. But there's something about our society does that. And I just don't think it does. But I think what's interesting is that the confession, the confession creates the confessor. And in that moment, people can actually expouse and have this experience of a true self that otherwise is completely impossible wow i think that's um i think that's a really good place to, <laughs> to leave the conversation i think that makes total sense yeah um, well you the other one's done 150 fucking confessional 150,000 confessionals <laughs> Well, it was a pleasure, uh, oddly enough, to discuss guilt with you oozing gloop. Oh, it was a guilty pleasure. <laughs> no, it wasn't a guilty pleasure. It was a pleasure. It was pleasure in guilt. Huh? Um, it was, I've really, yeah, this has been a super, super, the, the, this has been the best guilt I've ever experienced. <laughs> and thank you very much for uh, sticking with us, dear listeners. Uh, we will be with back. With a sticky subject. With a sticky subject. Oh, I don't know what the subject will be next week. Um, but we will be back uh, soon. We're also, uh, this is a, um, uh, a warning uh, mm. that we are soon to go monthly. We've been yeah. going week, weekly since the beginning, since last October. Uh, and You're kidding like, me. Yeah, yeah. So next time <laughs> you've been doing a fucking weekly podcast for free. <laughs> For, for the last however many months. Um, so uh, we will be going monthly so that we can uh, be more consistently there for you through thick and thin. Uh, if you like this episode, please share it on Instagram. That really helps. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can write to us at slurryspeaks at gmail.com. Yeah, there is literally no life or reach to this podcast without you listeners because we're spent. Yep. Yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely spent. Well, uh, see you next week. Ciao, baby. Ciao. Bye.